Hello, hello, and welcome to the Temple of the Fall Spot, where the decks aren't optimized, but the plays sure as heck are fun. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Andy. I'm your other host, Bruce. Uh, and today, we're going to sit back, we're going to talk about one of my favorite personal decks uh, of mine. My, one of my least sense? favorite decks of yours. <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to dive right uh, into the origin of this this beautiful, lovely deck, and let's. Uh, what, what do you what do you want to hear from me, Bruce? <laughs> well, let's uh, let's start this off. Um, so we're we're gonna spend this article talking about pirates episode or this this article. Yeah, there we go. See, this yeah. is what happens when you write five hundred of them. Everything yeah. is an article. We're gonna start That's this fair. this episode uh, talking about pirates. Or, pirates. Well, okay. No, I wish it was pirates because that deck is the one that I want Andy to play all the time because I feel like I have a chance. Um, no, we're going to talk about Tesa Karlov. At this point, I know it's early on, but I think that we that I would argue that this is your signature deck in much the same way that Buzzbark is is probably uh-huh. mine. For the folks at home, uh, we're talking about Tesa Karloff. This is a uh, it's a four mana commander. It's a two with one white, one black. It's a legendary creature, human advisor. Uh, she's a two four, uh, although that is com- almost almost completely irrelevant. Um, I never attack with her. Right. This card is uh, this card has one purpose. Uh, so it says if a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger. That ability triggers an additional time. And then it also says, creature tokens you control have Vigilance and Lifelink. So I guess, Andy, first things first, how often does the Vigilance and Lifelink on creature tokens really play a part? Because it's something that, quite quite honestly, I rarely even notice when you play the deck. So I don't know if I'm just not being aware or if that's just something that you didn't really push very hard. With that second ability specifically, I I kinda look toward it when I was building the deck because it had a clear place in the set it came out in. It was, uh, was it Guilds? No, it was uh, Ravnica Allegiance. Had a lot of, uh, what's that that mechanic where something dies, you get a spirit. Afterlife. Uh, Afterlife, thank you. This card was designed with that in mind, um, so I was like, "Oh, like I, I would love to make a like an afterlife deck that triggers both of those abilities. Uh, you get twice as many spirits. All the spirits would then have vigilance and lifelink. When I finally finished the deck, uh, I I loved having this uh, tokeny kind of sub theme to it. Uh, but overall, it ended up being an aristocrat style deck. Uh, the the tokeny sub theme was was kind of ironic to have vigilance and lifelink because I I wasn't I wasn't really doing much attacking, still don't really with with even many updates since uh, I don't do much attacking. I just kind of I, I probably should. I mean, specifically, I should be attacking more with the tokens. Okay. And I do, to an extent, especially when I don't have a sacrifice outlet or any sort of board wipe. Uh, but looking at the deck list, there's definitely a token sub-theme uh, that is what this deck was built upon. Okay. Um, it was built upon the ideas of like something dying, turning into tokens, uh, specifically twice as many tokens, and then having right. those tokens 
be there to attack and then defend. And if they're defending, they're going to die and then trigger other dying abilities. Going from there, so was it the afterlife mechanic that inspired the deck? Or did you see Tesa and then realize that afterlife was something that you wanted to build around? <laughs> like, where, what was, what was the chicken or egg that came first? And was that the inspiration to start building in the first place? At this point, it's hard to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think I was, I was really into the idea of having a uh, an Orzov deck, yeah. uh, and uh, this was around the time that Ravnica Allegiance came out, which was about a year ago, maybe a little longer than a year ago. And I noticed uh, that I was getting a lot of the the afterlife mechanic cards. This this deck really started as a 60 card deck in arena and then i was like turning this into a commander deck opens me up to so many more cards to utilize and to go about that with the idea that tesa is the commander i had never really built an aristocrat deck before and i figured i'll i'll give it a shot and i had already had like tons of afterlife cards just lying about from cracking packs or pre-releases or whatever the bare bones structure of this deck fell into place kind of concurrently uh there really was no chicken or egg they kind of complemented each other and i was like i'm gonna build a deck off that interaction so just to clarify then like i'm looking at a couple of the cards just let's just say revel in riches whenever a creature an opponent controls dies create a colorless treasure token so if an opponent's creature dies and tasa is out you create two colorless treasure tokens. That's right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. A lot of things went into this deck. Uh, a bit of research. When I started this deck, like I mentioned, it was very basically Tesa and a handful of afterlife cards. Uh, after that, I added some staples in aristocrat decks. You know, you got Blood Artist, you got Falconrath Noble, you've got Pawn of Ulamog. You've got these things that you type in uh, whenever a creature, whenever one of your creatures dies into Scryfall, mm-hmm. and you've got a list of cards that can go in this deck. I think Revel and Riches, I didn't realize triggered twice until I was playing it in a game. I think I had put it in the deck because I thought it was going to be easy to get treasure tokens. I, I have a handful of board wipes in this deck right. and knew that it was going to be relatively easy to get to 10. Sure. Um, didn't realize it was going to be twice as easy. <laughs> and after adding the the staples of aristocrats, I knew that there were a few that were outside of my budget uh, that I didn't add. Right. Um, I was going to ask you about the budget because I know that mm-hmm. this, particu- this particular build that you've got, and uh, you know, we'll make sure we get the link in the show notes. Um, I know this particular build is, is well under 200. Um, you know, yes. depending on what uh, you know, what version of a card you use, you can probably push it down to a lot closer to a hundred than two hundred. But so, was that something that was done consciously, or was that just sort of you know, this particular oh, yeah. deck just plays relatively inexpensive? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, as with the last question, it's a bit of both. Um, but I, with maybe the exception to like one other deck, I generally try to keep things very low budget maybe not as low as some other budget 
commander creators out there. I definitely don't have like a $25 limit or a $50 limit. I try to keep my costs down to $100, which can be seen as quite a bit. Uh, but as someone who, I mean, at the time that I made this deck, I had a student debt, still have it, but you know, it, it, it kind of fudges with your plans to put powerful cards in your deck. Right. Uh, so I've always been in the need to play budget. That said, looking at this list, there are quite a few cards that can be somewhat pricey. Uh, my, my thoughts, my, my general budget parameters, not only is 100 for all non-basics, but I try not to spend over $5 for any one card. Okay, that makes sense. And beyond that, unless it's it's like it needs to be in here. Um, we can see that, you know, I've got Black Market. Black Market is still under $5. Um, well, it's now under $5. I, I, it was definitely not under 5 It's a little over my budget, but it, it does really well in this deck. It's also a lightning rod and it immediately gets destroyed, but... Uh, if I can get it off, great. What is it about the deck that you like, and is, is there some is there some part of the deck that you're just not a particular fan of? Um, with with building this deck, to kind of roll back a bit to budget friendliness, um, I I have an affinity for decks that do a lot or seem to do a lot and not really go anywhere. This deck is a little different. Uh, it is budget friendly and it's somewhat focused. <clears throat> there are a handful of cards like, uh, like I said, Black Market, um, Ashnod's Altar. Um, I found a white border Ashnod's Altar for like three dollars at my LGS. Uh, so I was like, yeah, that's going in here. Uh, I had cracked a Godless Shrine. There, <laughs> I mean, talk about uh, budget friendly. I. Uh, shouldn't be cracking packs, but you know, sometimes you, you feel that urge. Right. Um, Crypt Gas, I think I had had just in my collection from prior. And to kind of go back to the question, uh, which was, what was the question? <laughs> uh, what is it that you, what is it in particular that you really like about the deck? And actually, as long as I'm asking, is there anything in particular that you just dislike about the deck that you wish that, you know, you're getting one, but do you like the peanut butter and chocolate combo? Or maybe you're, maybe you're one of those weirdos who just <laughs> wants the chocolate and then leaves the peanut butter off. Um, there's a lot I like about this deck. Um, I've done iterations through 60 card, uh, through Brawl, when most of these were standard legal. Um, there was an iteration that I've kind of obsessed on a bit in Arena where it was this weird, janky combo type thing between Tesa, Bishop of Wings, which said, I think it's a 1-4 for 3, which says when... Uh, uh, when an angel enters the battlefield under your control, you gain 4 life. And whenever yep. an angel you control dies, create a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature token with flying. So... Obviously, first part of that, great. If you play an angel, you get four life, period. Whenever that angel dies, you create a 1-1 one, one white spirit, uh, which is, you know, with Tesa out, you get two spirits. Those spirits have Vigilance and Lifelink. With the third piece of this kind of magical combo, which, I mean, you don't really need Tesa for, uh, a card that you love, 
Divine Visitation. I was just thinking the same thing. I'm just like, oh, goody, goody. With Divine Visitation, which is a three and two white enchantment, uh, if one or more creature tokens would be created under your control, that many 4-4 white angel creature tokens with flying and vigilance are created instead. So you have an angel, or you have Bishop of Wings out, you play an angel, you get four life. That angel dies. It's going to make a 1-1 spirit. But with Divine Visitation out, you get an angel instead, which means... That angel dies, you get an angel. With Tesa, you get two angels. Those two angels come into play, you get eight life. And then those angels die at some point, maybe. And you get more angels. And you, essentially, every time your angels die, you just double the amount of angel it is. And you just get life. Great. Um, and then just add Ashnod's Altar to the mix. Yeah, Ashnod's Altar have... or... Well, with uh, Ashnod's Altar, you now have infinite mana. With playing this on Arena, uh, I just played a lot of board wipes, and I didn't... I mean, I would get enough angels that I wouldn't really care about the Bishop of Wings anymore, that if they all died at the same time, I'd just get twice as many angels, and all their things die. Uh, and it was it was pretty tasty. Um, so why isn't the Bishop of Wings in the deck? And I noticed Div- Divine Visitation isn't in the deck either. Both, I think, are, are serious failings of this deck. Oh, yes. I, I really love Divine Visitation, but I trust there's a reason why they're not there. I mean, Divine Visitation is not in the deck solely because it's a $12 card. Um, I think the deck, I've, I think I've had the deck long enough that I could probably splurge and put a $12 card in there. The budget generally is kind of a to keep it grounded so that I can play it rather than having to like save up for these decks. And then I can improve on it from its first draft. Bishop of Wings, I just didn't... I don't... I I think I just didn't realize it was a card uh, at the time. Right. There's also hardly any angels in this deck. Speaking of $12 cards, I, I do yeah. have a $12 card in mind for this deck, but we can talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah. Um. So something else I want to know. So are there cards... I mean, you've had this deck now for a while. You've had a chance yeah. to streamline it a little. So are there cards that are that are still cards that you're looking at cutting? Are there cards that you want to add so you're looking at getting rid of a card that maybe you didn't want to get rid of? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, so kind of piggybacking off your last question of things that I don't like about this deck, somehow, somehow, Command the Dreadhorde always rises right to the top of this deck. Like, I don't know how I always draw it. Somewhere in turn, like, seven or eight, everyone's graveyards are full, uh, and I get a nice choosing of, of what I can take out of them. Command the Dreadhorde, for those who don't know, four and two black. Choose any number of target creature and or planeswalker cards and graveyards. Command the Dreadhorde deals damage to you equal to the total converted mana cost of those cards. Put them onto the battlefield under your control. So after, you know, seven or eight rounds where you've gained life through... Uh, your blood artist type effects, uh, especially being doubled and your tokens have lifelink, you have this huge buffer of life that you just kind of go in there and take what you want. You make the best choices and you lose a bit of life, but hopefully by the next round you can just win the game. So what's the Um, problem with this card? I don't like how consistent that card is. Um, Which seems ironic, but like I, I, I just... I don't want to win with that card every time. Um, it's just not how I play. I want to find another way to win this game. Which is funny too because I love just sitting there and reveling in like, I'm just going to build up these wall of tokens 
and then somebody at some point's gonna wrath and I'm gonna kill everyone in blood artist effects it's it's this weird irony I understand of like I that's how I want to win the game and it is generally the same play every time but when I get bored of it I just go to other decks um I know that you had mentioned that you don't like playing against this deck and I think that that is the sole reason is because I just I come out kind of feeble uh at the beginning and then I just don't do anything for the longest time uh there's hardly an interaction which is a bit uh it's a bit hypocritical of me but the aristocrats um (laughs) sorry I've just been dying to say that um I think the the biggest reason I just love this deck is that it it is the first well somewhat well-tuned deck that I built on my own. There's a bit of of pointedness uh, in it where I am understanding these synergies a little better than I had previously in my other decks. Some cards that I have wanted to take out and have since as well, uh, like I said, Command the Dreadhorde. Uh, I've taken out a bunch of the Mana Rocks because I don't necessarily need to ramp up. Also, it was taking away from my land count where my lands started out as, I think I had 29 lands in the deck, which is fascinatingly low. I have since added about six. I think I'm at 35 now. So I've taken away things that do a little bit of ramping early game, but also do a bit of fixing. Because generally, this deck does a lot early game with black, but also my curve is super low. With even my first draft, I think, let's see... Uh, I have four cards that are six or above. Everything else tops out at five. I've got 12 five drops, and everything else is ranges from one to four. Um, right. With a few X's in there, but um, that's debt to the deathless, which also I had won a few times with, and I was like, this just feels, I don't know, naughty. Um, and maybe it's just because I'm not at this point in my magic career yet that i'm just trying to win uh there's there's something about me that i'm like i don't i don't love ending the game <laughs> and i think that that's why this deck feels so warm to me because i it's a lot of just dirtling until the game is done and i have somehow won um i i can respect that yeah uh <laughs> It's funny because my next deck that I'm working on is a lot of uh, making sure that I am continuing to attack. A lot of, like, right. let's make their forward momentum in the game rather than just, like, uh, I'll just keep back. Um, some other things that I've taken out, Bolus's Citadel. It's a high-costed card um, that is just a little overpowered for me um kind of going back to uh my curve my updated deck now with 35 lands i've got which i have to say is probably about five lands too few well i i am on the 40 40 land crusade but i understand your deck 35 35 lands (laughs) continue um which i have i have felt okay with with convincing myself that it's okay uh, because, I mean, with my my first draft, I had four cards that were six or over. Now I have three cards. <laughs> but with that, I have also changed the number of five drops from 12 to nine. So, like, five and over has come down four total cards. I've gone up five lands, or six lands, five, I don't know. 
Um, I, I've taken out some of the overpowered cards that I, I just like. I don't love playing, but I've also taken out a few of a uh, few things that I just know that I'll never use, or like I'll be like, I don't see why this is in my deck. I I made this deck oh back in I don't know November, uh, and since then, so like a year has passed, right. and uh, I've just become a better Magic player. I I've taken out the ley line of sanctity because I, I don't care if I'm hexproof or not. Like it's not people aren't coming at me as a target. Uh, people are coming at my things as a target. So I've I've taken that out. Um, I have changed as a magic player since I started playing almost three years ago. Um, but I've really changed over the past years since building this deck. I love this deck to death, pun intended. I think as time goes, even though I've taken out a lot of the the powerful cards like that's the other thing bolus citadel command the dread Orb. uh they're both cards that are powerful but they're powerful on their own they don't necessarily need to go in this specific black white deck so eventually i'll probably put them either it back in or into another deck depending on how i feel about the deck how i feel it plays with the rest of our play group and that's a big thing too is i don't i don't love the fact that you hate this deck uh, or playing against this deck, I should say. Um, but I love playing it. Hate is a strong <laughs> word. It's not that yeah, I hate it. Of course. It's just, I, I recognize that I'm in for a, a big challenge when we play this deck. Yeah. Um, so, and in that... Strong word for a strong man. Well, and in that light, <laughs> uh, I, have a, I have a particular card that I want to suggest for the deck. Um, oh, yes. And quite often, for, for decks like this, uh, and for a lot of different decks, um, I have I recommend this card repeatedly. I've had, since had a look at the price tag, and I'm probably going to start recommending it less uh, because <laughs> it is now it's, it's over twelve dollars. <clears throat> the card is called Tombstone Stairwell. Oh yes, um, it's on it's part of the reserve list. So yep. this is all part of the reason it was it avoided a lot of the big price spikes for a very long time, and I think people are now finally finally starting to realize just how strong this card is so tombstone stairwell is a it's a four mana enchantment it's two and two black it has a cumulative upkeep of one and a black and i know that people get scared about cumulative upkeep uh, for those of you who don't know it's at the beginning of your upkeep put an age counter on this permanent then sacrifice it unless you pay its upkeep cost for each age counter on it so it gets harder and harder to keep into play however when i read the card You'll understand why I'm just not that worried about the cumulative upkeep. At the beginning of each upkeep, now that's each, not yours, not mine, every right. single and upkeep. Generally speaking, three to four upkeeps per round. We're, we're, yeah. So at the beginning of each upkeep, if Tombstone Stairwell is on the battlefield, each player creates a 2-2 black zombie creature token with haste named Tombspawn for each creature card in their graveyard so at the beginning of each person's upkeep they count up the number of creature cards in their graveyard and get that many 2-2 zombies all by itself right there you've got all sorts of enter the battlefield triggers and that's cute there's plenty of cards that will help that 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 will benefit from that i know that you've got a johnny's welcome in the deck and yep. honestly if you've got even three creatures in your graveyard if the sterile lasts one round you're getting four upkeeps with three creatures in your graveyard, which means you're getting 12 creatures entering the battlefield. 
And when a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. So that's 12 life. And you really didn't do anything. They just happen to be out there. Yeah. And since creating this deck, Throne of Eldraine has come out, um, as has Ikoria. So I have put in Ayara, first of Lothwain, which says whenever a black creature enters the battlefield under my control. And these are black creatures. Each opponent loses one life and I gain one life. So it's like living blood artist right uh, now of course none of this really works for tasa because these are activation abilities that are triggered upon creatures entering the battlefield they're not dying but wait there is more to come with this card <laughs> uh the second part of the card is at the beginning of each end step or when tombstone stairwell leaves the battlefield so even when somebody destroys it this is still going to happen destroy all tokens created with tombstone stairwell they can't be regenerated because this is an old card. In any event, it means that if you have three creature cards in your graveyard, you make three 2-2 zombies at the start of the turn. They're there for your turn. And at the end of the turn, they get sacrificed. Or no, they get destroyed. So either way, they're dying. So every card that gets a benefit from you having a creature dying now doubles. And usually, that means the activation happens multiple times. Now, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, one of the cards in your deck, Revel in Riches. Now, Revel in Riches says whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, create a colorless treasure token with tap, sack this artifact, uh, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So, if each of your opponents only have one creature card in their graveyard, one and let's be real that's not happening they're going to have more than that but let's say it's one let's say you've got three opponents so three creatures are going to the graveyard at the end of each player's turn so in a round that's four four times this is going to happen four times three is 12 12 times a creature (laughs) is going to die which means that revel and riches is going to create 12 treasure tokens unless Tasa Karloff is around, in which case you're getting how many? 24. 24 treasure tokens. Well, wait a minute. You only need 10 on your upkeep to win. Suddenly Revel and Riches becomes a very real win condition to the point where it may not be something you want to keep in the deck with Tombstone Stairwell because it wins so easily that way. The key, though, is that with Tombstone Stairwell, you're going to get so many death activations whether they're yours or your opponents because this also works for you so if you've got cards that say whenever one of your creatures die if you have creature cards in your graveyard and you're going to with this deck you are also going to be getting those tomb spawn tokens so you're going to get three creatures who can be there to chump block because yeah let's be honest they're dying at the end of the turn and if they don't chump block they can get sacked to the altar they can get sacked for any other purpose as long as you have a way to sacrifice them, they die. And then you get all those benefits that go with it. Maybe in this deck, it turns out this is just a win more card. Because it doesn't <laughs> actually... It just kills the creatures. You still need to have the other cards out there to get the benefit. Whereas uh, a Blood Artist and Tasa Karloff, well, they work together. Tombstone Stairwell just means that Blood Artist works twice as well. It doesn't offer <laughs> anything. But if Blood Artist is not there, Tombstone Stairwell is not offering really anything. Because yeah. nothing triggers off of it when it dies. So it's not like it's making Tasa Karlov better. 
it's making everything else better. But whether I mean, that's, that's the kind of like that's the kind of tricks that I love, where it's just uh, you know you've got like three cards that really sell that combo rather than just like having it to like the the more that you have to build up for it to is just kind of fun and silly right uh, because i know that you've got well i mean i'm looking at the looking at the deck you've got fumigate you've got kaya's wrath you've got martial coup route you see the times when you kill a whole bunch of creatures at once and mm-hmm. then you get all of these death triggers and yeah. if Tasa is out there i mean you can order how how things work so you'll get the double and so how often is that a good thing for you? Generally a lot. Okay, because um, <laughs> Tombstone Stairwell is basically saying, t- kill off the equivalent of all of those creatures that you killed on the previous turn with Route every single turn. I mean, if you've got Tombstone Stairwell out and you Route, well, Route gives you the benefit of all of those creatures dying. So you get all those death triggers. Well, yeah. if you've got, if you can then get a couple other creatures on the board... You're getting that many creatures dying every single turn. <laughs> so essentially you're getting the value of the route on each person's upkeep. It's a big it's a big swing. Um, yeah. Now, again, I don't know if this is just a big win more card. I don't know if this just turns this deck into like some sort of combo monster where all you're doing is you know trying to get five creature cards into your graveyard and then trying to get a sack outlet out and just keep burning through these things for for whatever benefit. But it's certainly something, I think it might be something to consider. Yeah. I know this card previously because you have a 60 card deck where it is one piece of a, of like a two piece structure, correct? Oh yeah. And a 60. Yeah. Um, I, I run, I run Tombstone Stairwell. Uh, I have run it in a, a ton of different decks mostly 60 card decks because I do try yeah. and make it as a combo piece so oftentimes I'll have three copies of the card um, yeah. I've run it with in a deck that is sort of a 60 card uh, a 60 card aristocrats because I know I've had it activate off of blood artists and falcon wrath nobles um, I've used it with black market I've used it with uh, with a handful of cards that you that you have run in the past with this Um I've tried it with other options. Uh, my latest is that I really want to consider it with a divine with divine visitation. Hell yeah! Because every time I would make zombie tokens, they would turn into angel tokens. They'll still be they'll still be destroyed uh, unless you have a way to make them indestructible. Uh, but I think that's really funny because they're like two cards that I specifically think of you with, and with that sixty. Um, what makes it so fun is that it it's it's just so it it kicks this panic into the game where everyone else is like oh like they love having these creatures just come back and die and so on and so on and so on and there are times that you aren't getting really any value out of it like i think the other piece of that in your 60 is your falcon wrath noble which is just another blood artist effect but without that noble on board these things are just coming in and dying and coming in and dying uh which speeds up the game makes it this hurried panic in any event uh, it i was i just i wanted to, to sort of throw that out there yeah there, there are so many decks that i think the sterile works well in and i think this deck would be one of them i would love for you to prove me either right or wrong just to get a, <laughs> to get a peek at it and see how that works i think that that is a, a great 
addition to this deck, I think with my decks, especially the ones that I love, like this one, um, they are generally seeing this aging to it, where as it goes on, I feel more comfortable adding in, you know, these prize pieces uh, that really kind of make it pop off. Um, before we go on, uh, I'd just like to take a moment to just throw it over to our sponsor. So uh, we'll be right back. Today's episode of Temple of the False Pod has been brought to you by The Black Market. Have you ever felt like death isn't as valuable as you want it to be? Would you like to profit every turn? Well, have I got the card for you. For only three generic and two black mana, you'll be passively saving up for that next big spell. Watch as your opponent's creatures die and your interest goes up. On every single one of your turns, watch as you rake in your dividends and make a killing. Literally. You may not be able to put a price on life, but we at Black Market can put a price on death. And we're going to give you a much better rate. And now back to the show. All right, we're back. Um, we're, we're talking today about my Tesa Karlov deck. Uh, little little baby Tesa, uh, newest newest Tesa. She's she's a good little advisor. Uh, you have any you have any more questions for me about this deck? Yeah, um, actually, I wanted to ask you about a particular card. Um, Black Market has always intrigued me, um, just with the idea that with the amount of mana that it can offer, but at the same time, it's hard to argue that it's ramp. I mean, it does cost five. Yeah. So generally speaking, by the time you can afford it, you want to be doing other things that that really hit hard. Has it has it worked well for you in this deck, or is this something that that you're looking at, or how does this uh, how does this one play out for you? Uh, good question. The purpose I have the the reason I have it in this deck, uh, because I mean obviously it's got the dying triggers, so it's gonna it's gonna go up twice as fast. But more importantly. Because I have such a low curve, I love playing a lot of things on few turns. Uh, I know that generally playing on curve, you only get to play like one thing a turn for the first couple turns. By the time you have Black Market out, by the time it starts going up, uh, you've got enough to play. You know, you drop a bunch of three drops on the table, you drop a bunch of a couple of twos and a three or whatever. So, like, that was the reason I put this in the deck. Now, I've had it hit the table maybe three times while playing this deck, and I've only had it go up any probably once out of those three times. And I think before, uh, what is it? What does it say? Black market. Uh, at the beginning of my pre-combat main phase, add black to your mana pool for each charge counter. So immediately, you have to wait a whole round for it to do anything. Uh, even if like you play it, kill a bunch of everybody else's creatures, get a bunch of charge counters, you still have to wait for your next turn. I think the one time that it's gotten back around to me, I didn't have anything to do with that mana. And that was shameful. Um, there may be like one or two times that I'm forgetting that I've been able to get like four or five mana off of it and and really use it but it is such a lightning rod especially in this deck if people see it come down they immediately want to get rid of it uh and i don't i don't blame them it's a powerful card uh so to say the least i have not gotten the value i wish to get off of it <laughs> it it could be a cut from my deck to put in i don't know i could probably put bolus's citadel in place of this and be happier um so any i 
think that was uh, I, th- I think that that about covers it. Um, nice. Uh, I encourage I encourage the folks to go and check out the list. I know we didn't talk about a lot of the cards in particular, more just about the the general aspects of the deck. I mean, we're we're talking about enter the battlefield and leave and and dying triggers, uh, and how that all ties together and how Tesa enables that so well. So Andy, I want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to to chat about this deck and uh, of course and sort of look it over and and for sharing the list. Always happy to get to, to get a peek at somebody else's deck and get a, a sense for what they're looking for out of a deck and how it how it plays out. Yeah, uh, and just some like closing words about this deck. I think I think you could easily look at this deck and be like, why why is the Imperious Oligarch in here? Uh, and it's simple. It's got afterlife. Um, I purposefully have taken power out of this deck. Imperious Oligarch, 2-1 for white and a black. Vigilance, afterlife, 1. It isn't a good card. I put this... This was one of the first cards I put in the deck. Um, and compared to other afterlife cards, not great. But better than some. Compared to Seraph of the Scales, which is in this deck, um, that card's great. Uh, it's a 4-3 flying, pay white to give it Vigilance, pay black to give it Death Touch with Afterlife 2. With Taste How, you get four angels, or four spirits on death. Um, so I guess just if you look at this deck, understand that that's where I'm coming from. Um, I'm not, like, trying to be defensive about it. Uh, I am just letting you know, I know it can be better. I choose not for it to be because I want my decks to be somewhat playable in my group. Uh, I think you can hone in a deck probably too much. I think this could immediately bring a halt to a game and put everyone on hostage until somebody pulls the trigger and kills all my things and then the game's probably done at that point. Which is, I guess, like another thing that I love about this deck is that it, like, it sometimes tricks people into thinking that they're doing something that won't benefit me but ends up benefiting me a lot uh like wiping my board um which you know sometimes it's got to be done um (laughs) i guess just another thing too uh it it's the things that i've taken out is for the benefit of the game rather than for the benefit of my winning uh right you know Bolus' Citadel, easy include on almost any black deck. But I, I took it out because I, I I don't know. It, it just it makes it too consistent. So um, Fair enough. That's all I have to say about it. I love this deck to death. I hope uh, if you want to play it, try it out as is. Make make your own uh, make your own cuts. Add in whatever you want. Have fun with it. Uh I think at some point we should talk about net decking, because I feel like it's got like this sordid history, but uh, that'll be another episode. But, as we say here, uh, I'm Andy. I'm Bruce. You can find me on Twitter and on Twitch, Tuesdays and Fridays, uh, at AndyWeekend. Uh, you can find me... Uh, I don't do Twitch. Uh, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at, at ManaBurned, um, and uh, yeah... If you don't know what mana burn is, ask your parents. Uh, and we are the Temple of the False Spot, where the decks aren't optimized, but the plays sure as heck are fun. Have a great night. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye bye.
Hey everyone, Andy here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Temple of the Fall Spot. Just a few housekeeping things here at the end of the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, pretty much wherever you can find podcasts. Subscribe and give us a review. It really helps out the show. And it'll show us what you like about our podcast. Uh, also, we've got a Twitter and an Instagram. Our handle is falsepodmtg, all one word. So be sure to follow us. Feel free to reach out to us there or drop us an email at falsepodmtg at gmail.com and tell us your favorite magic-related story. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again to you and to Bruce. He's Mana Burned on Twitter, and I'm Andy Weekend on Twitter and Twitch. We're Temple of the False Pod, where our decks aren't optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Have a great night, and may your fifth land be the temple.